0: Welcome to Every Business Counts, the podcast which shows how money and numbers can support you to build a sustainable business. My name is Lynn Mann, and I'm an accountant and a coach with over 20 years' experience. In each episode, I will be exploring how money and your business numbers can help amplify the impact you want to make by focusing on purpose and profit. Because every business counts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Every Business Counts. My name's Lynn Mann and today I have with me Daksha Patel. Daksha is the founder of Your Mind at Work, a coaching and consulting and training company which helps clients to optimize performance by transforming stress, building resilience and driving changes in behavior in line with their goals through using science, practical tools and technology and that can bring about change within days and weeks. If you would like to contact Deksha after hearing this podcast, then please do reach out to her on LinkedIn and you can find out more about her and her work at um, -at www.your-mind-at-work.com. So thank you for joining me today. It's really great to have you here and I'm looking forward to, to learning more. Oh, thank you, Lynn, for inviting me to speak on your podcast. You are welcome. So, one thing I'm really curious about is kind of what led you to actually start to realize the importance of emotional intelligence and personal resilience. Um, so this is
1: really interesting because it's probably a subject matter that I became interested in from a very young age although I wouldn't have known that those subject matters were called resilience and (laughs) emotion at the time and I guess it has a lot to do with my background and my upbringing so being Asian, female and being brought up in a culture um, where Family is really important. It's about doing the right thing. It's Mm. about community. It's about your status in community. It's about religion. It's about tradition. And I guess uh, from a very young age, um, some of the messages that I got from my parents was that it was I, I didn't really need to have a voice because they very much were going to tell me how I needed to think how I needed to behave um, and you know it, it wasn't about being independent it was about more about being compliant more about you know not disappointing them doing the right thing and a lot of that was linked to Asian family values it's linked to Asian community It's it's linked to how they were brought up and what they believed was the best way to bring up their children in a Western society. That's probably the best way for me to put it. (laughs) And so um I guess what happened was it was almost like they were saying it really wasn't that important what I wanted because they were going to very much show me the ropes. And I guess I had different ideas. I guess um for me I did want to have a voice. I did want to learn how to express myself and you know, my father back then was a very serious, very authoritarian um, gentleman. Right. And, you know, it's one of those um, family units where, you know, if you if your father spoke to you, you knew that you had done something wrong. Just growing up, there was just this, um, I, I guess you could say I was almost intimidated and quite scared to sort of stand up to my dad and from a very young age i decided that you know I, I did want to have a voice i wanted to be assertive i wanted to learn how to express myself and so i started to read lots of books around being assertive and how can you be more confident from quite a young age wow and i guess that really then did start me on my journey around personal development and personal growth and that continued right up until i got my first job I started in on the graduate management training scheme with the NHS, and I was so fortunate because I had a mentor for two years. I had access to lots of leadership and management training, and that's really when I started to get a better understanding of what do we mean by emotional intelligence, what do we mean by personal resilience, and how do we go about um, acquiring those skills and becoming more of those things so i guess um, you could say that's when i really then started to understand the importance of why we need to develop our own emotional intelligence and i know that daniel goldman has done a lot of work around this topic of emotional intelligence but in its simplest form to me uh, emotional intelligence is really about having self-awareness mm-hmm. and personal resilience is very much about being able to deal with things that happen on a day-to-day basis with more ease
0: right and thanks for taking the time to add that in at the end because that was actually what <laughs> one of the things I was going to ask you next but it's interesting for me how almost that awareness of having to navigate a very specific um, cultural and family way of doing things, but knowing that you wanted to do things differently, and how could you do that? And it's almost like by going and doing all this learning, this reading, and such like, you understood you had to, you couldn't go in there like a, a bull and just go, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. You actually had to work out ways. To understand what was going on and understand how you could approach it, but at the same time, how you had to, could keep yourself strong and not be brought down by the situation. Yeah, which again, as you say, is what you can you'll see in any workplace. You know, if you you go in, it is how do you approach that situation? How do you understand what's going on? Um, and I think what you've described having that awareness and being able to help others develop that awareness is an incredible skill to have um because it isn't something that comes naturally to everybody um and and I love how you you kept it to that very simple thing of it's about starting with um, being aware of yourself. So almost being aware of how you're reacting to the other people and what's being said rather than it's actually making it about somebody else. Sure. Um, so I really like that. Thank you for sharing that. And one thing I wanted to move on, because often, you know, when we're talking per- personal resilience, particularly it's, I guess, For me, resilience became a common phrase because of there was all the talk about stress. So it's almost that resilience, if you can build your resilience, you're able to deal with the stress, kind of look at it very simply. Mm -hmm. But really just to help people understand, you know, what is the real cost of stress to um, an organization and what will drive stress within an organization and within the individual's
1: Yeah, so this is a really good question because um, there is so much research that has now been done around the cost of stress and to organizations and even to small businesses, you know, and even if you're um, self-employed, there's definitely a cost to stress. And I still believe that stress is a subject that people still shy away from talking about. And I still believe that sometimes most people won't recognize they're stressed. Uh, They'll recognize that they're busy. They'll recognize that they're they're feeling overwhelmed. They'll say things like, there's just so much to do and not enough time. They're probably working very long hours. They probably aren't spending time looking after themselves and investing in their own self-care and their own well-being. Um, they're probably not having very good night's sleep Um, and they probably feel like they're just not in control anymore and yet people won't necessarily say and therefore I'm stressed Mm. so I think that's that's a one that's a really uh, for me it's a it's a biggie in terms of how do you get people to recognize that they are stressed and stress is a very unique it's a very personal experience and we all experience stress in our own way and um, different things will trigger the stress response in different people. And I say that it's really important to distinguish between what I call a stressor and, and, and stress itself. So okay. there's lots of things that people will react to. So, you know, you ask me what causes stress in the workplace. It can be so many things. It could be that you have an unsupportive boss. Um, so if you work in an organisation where you're an employee, um, it could be that, you know, um, there's tension between your work colleagues. It could be that your boss doesn't listen to you. It could be that you're being asked to do more and more, um, or you're not being valued or you're not being recognised. Now, these are all stressors because we can all react to that in very different ways Mm. you know if you're in a bigger organization even in a smaller organization it could be the fact that you have difficult clients that you're working with or there's a cash flow problem Mm. um you know there's lots of things that can trigger and right now you know lockdown COVID-19 working from home not being able to see your colleagues and socialize with them. All of those are stressors because they're things that are outside of us that have the potential to stress us out. And actually how, when we, when we trigger that stress response, when we actually get stressed, it's because of the way that we are choosing to either respond or react to that situation or that person or that event.
0: And that's really interesting. When you do, you know, when you were talking about you know going through what is stress, and I, I actually just recorded um, and released episode nineteen, which actually on that I was looking, talking about the hidden cost at work, and, and stress is a huge hidden cost at work. But yeah. in that, I recall very much um, my own personal experience of working in corporate, and when you were talking through this. And it's interesting, I would never have said I was stressed, except there would be certain things that would then suddenly trigger me. Uh So I remember specifically, um, and this is, you know, I don't know how many years ago now, 15, 20 years ago. And I remember being in the office at 9, 10 o'clock at night and the US phoning me, expecting me to be there. Uh And we were doing, it was budget season. Uh And... Then phoning again the next well it was that morning their time afternoon my time and again there was no kind of appreciation it was just straight down the phone they didn't like something and and literally on the that was it was almost like the final straw. And yeah. I just burst into, well, I came off the phone, then burst into tears. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. of course, everybody around me went, <gasps> what's going on? Because that was, you know, normally I was the very calm one, you know, controlling oh. everything, whatever. But it's it's interesting what you say that I would never have said I was stressed. And that goes back to what you described about the um, emotional intelligence, actually being aware of what's going on in yourself and and in your body um and then being aware I guess as you say of actually what triggers the stress within you because as you said it's going to be so different from from everybody else um and in terms of that is there anything that you know you you kind of talked through an example of kind of what stress might look like but Is there anything that you could say or tips you could give people to help them understand, actually, if they're in a stressful situation and actually to recognize that they are feeling Like, how would somebody know? You said, you know, you're keeping busy, whatever, but are are there any kind of physical body signs or are there any kind of other signs that might just help somebody realize, actually, I'm stressed and I need to do something about this?
1: Yeah, you know, there's lots of signs that we are feeling stressed, you know. And if you think about stress in terms of, there's different kinds of stress. There's Mm -hmm. mental stress, there's physical stress, there's emotional stress. Right. So each one, and and again, um, as you know, Lynn, I'm a heart math coach. So um, we talk about these um, different domains of resilience and I'll come on to resilience. Um but, if you think about you know emotional physical um and mental stress when we experience different types of stress, what's happening is that our internal battery of energy that i you know, i refer to this inner battery of energy that we have our energy depletes okay. um and probably the best way for me to uh explain it is um uh, there's a fourth um, area of stress, which is around what we call existential or spiritual,
0: okay. and
1: existential can be very much be around your values or your purpose or your beliefs. And if you think about it, of those four things representing like the four wheels on your car,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, when we all drive, we drive a, If you drive a car, you'll know that you know the pressure in the in the tires has to be at the right level in order yeah. for you to efficiently get from A to B, and Often, if the pressure isn't at the right level, then you know that you're probably not driving your car in the most effective way. But if you have one flat tire, so let's just say, you know, the physical domain, which is the one of your flat tires, because you're not exercising, you're not um, eating properly, or you're not sleeping well, eventually, that energy is just going to keep depleting and depleting and depleting, and then you get this flat tire. Yeah. If you have one flat tire... <laughs> you don't get very far do you no <laughs> but, and so the important thing is, is to remember that we have to be balanced in all four so we have to be balanced mentally as well as emotionally as well mm. as you know existentially and so often if you have the mental physical and the emotional imbalance then the existential tends to come into balance on its own okay but the emotional, um, where we experience emotional stress, this is the one that's probably where we deplete our energy the quickest and most often unnecessarily. And so it's the worry, it's the self doubt, it's the lacking self confidence, or it's the frustration that we feel. Um, but again, emotionally we can get drained if um, our relationships aren't, you know, as effective as they could be, and you know, if we're having some conflicts at work and. With our work colleagues or with our boss, that drains us.
0: Mm.
1: And then mentally, you know, if you are going from one meeting to another, you are literally not giving yourself any time between meetings to eat properly or to fuel yourself, or you're not stopping for a lunch break. Um, and you know, if you're grappling with lots of different issues where you're having to switch gears mentally because you're having to deal with different types of problems. That's also going to deplete you. And so often some of the signs around whether you're stressed, ask yourself, you know, are you getting enough sleep? Do you go to sleep and wake up in the morning feeling even more tired and exhausted? Are you actually eating like in moderation? You know, is it balanced enough? Is it, you know, are you eating in moderation? Are you taking, are you stopping for a lunch break? You know, how many hours in the day do you work? Do you actually manage to switch off and get some me time of a weekend, or is it just all work, work, work? And the other thing around, you know, costs in terms of the workplace, you know, there's these two areas that we're seeing a huge increase in, which is around presenteeism. Yeah. And so presenteeism is where people are showing up for work when they really should be off sick. Yeah. And it's this fear that if I don't show up at work, people are going to judge me that maybe I'm not coping, or if there's a round of redundancies. You know, I don't want to be uh, giving my boss the impression that, you know, I'm a slacker and people are turning up. Um, and there's also something about, you know, leaveism, And this is where people are using their annual leave to catch up with their workload.
0: Wow. I hadn't heard of that one.
1: Yeah. So that's another area that's on the increase. And the thing about, you know, presenteeism, leaveism is the fact that you know information technology is a great thing, but what it also means is that we're we're, all, we're we've become part of this always accessible and always yeah. online culture. You know, so we're constantly looking at our phones. Everybody's expecting an instant answer as soon as they send you a text message, yeah. send you an email. So we're constantly online. You know, we're constantly on the go, and so if we're not. Switching off from some of that, there's some sure signs that we're stressed. And if you've lost your sense of humor, maybe everything feels like too much effort and you're no longer making the effort to do the things that you enjoyed. A lot of people will say, you know, I used to really love dancing and I used to really love doing this and I used to love playing my guitar and I don't do any of it anymore. And actually, you know, if you just do things um, all the time that are depleting you, then that's when your inner battery of energy is being depleted all the time. And most people will keep going and going and going until they get to that point where you basically burn out or you break down.
0: Yeah, and I, I love the analogies you've used there with the the batteries and with the car because it is about um, being effective and efficient. But it's also that reminder, you know, when, when you're talking, what was coming through is we place so much emphasis on our work life and having to give. Um, and meet others' expectations in mm-hmm. work. And often actually, it's our own expectations because we've <laughs> never clarified what the other's expectations are anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's that thing that we forget, actually, work is only supposed to be a certain part of our life. and actually we need the weekends. We need the evenings, whatever, however our life is structured we need those dine times to actually regenerate yeah and refresh yeah and keep things in perspective almost absolutely
1: yeah and I guess that's really where the resilient side comes into it so um you know a long time ago I was probably one one of those individuals who talked quite a lot about work-life balance work-life balance mm-hmm. and then as I've you know gone through my corporate career and now you know self-employed I I don't believe that actually there is this work-life balance but what I do believe is that you can have you can aim for work-life harmony because I think sometimes when you talk about work-life balance it automatically means that you do 50% work and 50% life yeah but if you're self-employed and you know, when you work in a corporate world and you've got, a, you know, a high flying job, which requires you to you know, spend a lot of time in work, you're not necessarily going to get that 50 50 work life balance. But if you can create some sort of harmony whereby you recognize that, you know, yes, there's going to be times when I'm going to have to go flat out and work really hard, but you have to recognize that I can't sustain that forever. Yeah. And there comes a point where I have to say, okay, I worked full out for two weeks. Now I need to make sure that I'm taking some time out and I'm resting. And now I'm recharging my inner battery of energy. I'm recuperating. I'm, you know, getting some of that restorative rest and sleep. And, um, and so that's really important. And so this is probably where resilience comes into it. So I often talk about how stressors can deplete you. Yeah. So resilience is about doing those activities that actually renew you. Okay. Yeah. So this is where people might exercise, people might do some meditation or mindfulness exercises. And my go-to um activity is really breathing. And um, that's the number one for me. There's a number of techniques that you can do, and HeartMath have done a huge amount of research into. Um, the importance of breathing a certain way to renew your inner battery of energy in the moment and often when you talk to people or you know when I when I uh, talk to clients and I will ask them you know what does resilience mean to you and they'll say well it's about bouncing back and so for me resilience is about not just about bouncing back because it's about that's what happens after the event yeah. But it's about having that capacity to deal with something, um, beforehand, during and after. And the thing about resilience is that it is capacity that you build. So you have to practice, um, building resilience. It's, it's no different to if you've never run in your life, you wouldn't go out and try and run half a marathon on your first go. <laughs> you would have to build it up yeah resilience is no difference if you don't practice building that resilience when you need it the most when you hit with life's challenges and you really need it the most it's, you're not going to have that capacity it's not going to be there so it's an ongoing practice you have to build the muscle in the same way that you would build the muscles for your legs to carry you for half a marathon yeah and that's
0: that really got me thinking then when you were talking about having to to build that muscle to that resilience isn't there because it is that thing that you think. I think particularly when you're younger, you think, oh, I'm resilient, I can cope with this, or whatever. But it's that forgetting that um or not realizing it's something that you have to constantly build. Yeah. And to be honest, it's not something I've really thought about. You know, it's kind of I would be aware of. It what helps but I haven't actually thought of it as as building a muscle to help keep that to I guess what I see it's going back to your battery analogy it's almost like your resilience is almost I don't know we say the full battery well you've got to stay in the green yeah yes (laughs) and it's kind of going down and you're getting really depleted and it's like you've run out of resilience, but you're still keeping going until you hit rock bottom. Whereas what you're saying is actually you just need to keep topping it up yes. constantly. Yes. And then as the stresses bring you down, you're remembering to do things that will top you back up. So you actually never get down to that absolutely real bottom.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's like um, there's two analogies. When you, we all have a smartphone, what well, most of us do, um, and when we see that battery going into the red, the first thing you do is you plug it in, don't you, and you yeah. charge it up. When we know that we're running on empty, you know, those where some of those sayings come from, don't they? I'm running on fumes. I'm running on empty. We know that, and yet we don't plug ourselves in to recharge our own batteries. And in the same way, if you go back to the car analogy. If you were to leave your lights on overnight, um, um, when you come back in the morning, you would have a flat battery. Yeah. And running, leaving your cars on, leaving your lights on overnight is that same as, you know, when you constantly are worried, you think you're not thinking about something, but you are. and And it's worrying you or it's frustrating you or, you know, it's causing you to resent somebody or something that's when I was saying about how often it's in the emotional domain that we deplete our battery the quickest
0: and often unnecessarily. And generally, then we're not really aware of of what's going on. Yeah, it's really interesting.
1: Yeah. And I guess that's really where some of the emotional intelligence comes into it. It's about having, building that self-awareness, just becoming more self-aware of Mm. what your emotional triggers are. You know, what is it that you know triggers the stress response for you you know when do you feel angry or resentful or guilty or sad or you know when do you experience those emotions and the more aware you can become of that the more empowered you will be to then do something about it you know because I often say to people you know once you know that you're feeling angry about something or you're frustrated about something it's not about saying that I'm never going to experience those emotions in the real world. You know, if you're, you know, in an ideal world, you might not. But in the real world, we're all going to be faced with challenges that are going to uh, mean that we're going to experience those emotions. Yeah. So it's not about denying it or suppressing it or never experiencing it. It's about recognizing, okay, I, I, I'm sensing that I'm now feeling angry. I know because there's this physical change in my body. You know, my heart's racing, or my hands are sweaty, or I've got butterflies in my stomach. So it's about really important to acknowledge it and 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 accept it. But then it's about really saying, so, you know, what do I want to do about it? Mm. How long do I want to keep feeling this way? Because the longer you feel that way, the bigger the negative impact it's actually going to have um, on your physical, biological, chemical, and neurological body.
0: Yeah. And that that really does make sense. And it is that as you going back to the emotional intelligence, as you say, so if you start to become more aware of the emotions you're feeling, you can actually recognize it as an emotion. And then it becomes actually, what do I want to do about it? Yeah. And it's that when you can start to have that reaction, you can then move on. And would you say then if you're controlling if you're being more aware of your emotional intelligence, your kind of emotions, what's going on, actually it becomes easier to maintain your resilience because you're not draining as much.
1: Yeah, so, you know, the more you become aware of it, so sometimes though you could say, you know, I know I get really angry, mm-hmm. but unless you are willing to do something different, what's going yeah. to happen is that your battery is going to deplete. And actually building resilience is really about saying, So in the past, maybe I would have stayed angry about this thing for like, you know, weeks. Now, building resilience and building that capacity means that, you know, I can, I only stay angry for about five minutes.
0: Wow.
1: And that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the work. That's the work that you have to do and practice because, you know, these emotions and um. I'm probably going to say something which is going to sound like a bit controversial, (laughs) uh, but it's meant to be. Uh, But often we do get addicted to our emotions. Mm. You know, so people often associate addiction with like alcohol or chocolate or drugs or gambling, but actually, you know, we can't, we do get addicted to our emotions. And all that means is if I was to say to you, okay, we'll just stop being angry and you couldn't stop being angry, then there's obviously some degree of addiction. And if you think about it, um, When we experience emotions, our body physiologically changes um, in terms of its chemistry. So then the body then gets used to getting that rush of chemicals that it associates with things like anger or sadness or resentment. And when you stop feeling those emotions, the body then goes, hang on a second. (laughs) I'm so used to getting this rush of anger. And now you're all calm. What's going on? Yeah
0: yeah yeah and and I think it's it's interesting because as well almost as well the influence of your um of growing up can have on that because I know for example my mum was a real or she is a real worrier Mm -hmm. and it's that thing that it's almost you are brought up thinking I've got to worry I've got to control I've got to whatever and then it's what you're saying is actually being aware of that, And it's something I've had to personally really focus on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you do realize you start worrying about things and it's like, well, why am I worrying about this? And then having to really learn to to let go of it and question it, as you say. So it's, as you said, it's doing that work and really um, working through that. So, yeah, so I can see from what, you know, you've shared a lot of... um, tools and tips here about how we can start to to build a personal resilience one thing I would love for you to share actually if you don't mind you talked about breathing and the importance of breathing and I know when I've talked to you before you talk about breathing into your heart yeah can you just really just disc- because you know that's the type of tool that somebody can just pull on if they're feeling angry how can they take breath and Dissipate it. Sure. So um when I talk about
1: um acknowledging your emotions, I use the acronym um SMART. So you have okay. to be smart. So that's the first point. So if you know that something has triggered you, then you have to be smart. So SMART really stands for just stop and notice okay. and then monitor how you're feeling, which is the M. A yeah. is acknowledge um, and accept the emotion. R is to recalibrate. So, really, what you're wanting to do is, if you're recognising you're feeling angry, then recalibrate, um, and then recalibrate by taking time out. Now, time out can mean lots of things. So, for some people, it could be doing a 20 minute meditation, or it could be doing, you know, going for a walk or going to the gym. And I often say that, and all those things are great because they will renew your inner battery of energy. But if you're in a difficult meeting and you know that you've been triggered, you might not be able to say, do you know what, just give me 20 minutes yeah. be to a presentation and I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. You might not be able to get away with that. But so, so another way that you can take time out is to do the heart-focused breathing. And this is a technique that um, I use with my clients. And it's a really simple uh, technique. And it literally is what it says um, on the team. So heart focused breathing is, you know, if you were doing heart focused breathing, you would just sit upright. You would uncross your legs, put your hands in a relaxing position on your, on your lap. You can do it with your eyes open. It's designed for you to be, to, for you to be able to do it with your eyes open. And all you're doing is you're taking a deeper breath in and then, and you say you're inhaling for say five counts. You're feeling your belly fall away from the spine. And on the exhalation, you feel your belly fall back towards your spine. And what you're doing is you're keeping your focus in the heart or the chest area. So you're almost breathing in as if you're breathing through the heart and the chest area. You breathe in and then you breathe out. And it just puts your attention. First of all, it takes you out of your head yeah, to your heart. And what it does is it then gives you a point of focus, which is your breath. And so, really, all it does is it gets you into a neutral place. Okay. And so, if you can breathe in for five, and then you breathe out for five, and you really do want to be breathing deeper than you would normally breathe. Most people breathe shallow. They Mm. breathe breathe into their chest and then back out again. Yeah. And all the research shows that, you know, when you start to breathe in this rhythmic, coherent way, Mm. um, what happens is the... um, the signal that goes from the brain, sorry, from the heart to the brain becomes more coherent.
0: Ah, interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that's really, because you're absolutely right that if we're in a, a meeting, if we're even in the workplace, we mm-hmm. can't just walk away or if on the phone, whatever it is. And you've just given us a great tool to be able to use. So thank you. And we've talked very much about kind of a lot about kind of um, personal emotional intelligence and um, personal resilience. If you've got a team and you're managing a team, how can you get them to be develop their own emotional intelligence or to develop their own resilience? Because you know, do you find there is a difficult conversation to have that, or are people quite open to actually this is going to help me? And I need to do this. If you
1: think about it, you know, if you work in a team, a team is made up of individuals. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay. So if each individual takes some self-responsibility and some self-accountability, then, and everybody's given the same information, the same tools, um, then you should see that impact as a team, in the team as a whole. Right. So, one of the things, you know, um, one of the things that I, I've done is where we've been, uh, I've been asked to go into an organization and provide um, emotional resilience training to managers. And, you know, managers need to understand their own stresses. Yeah. Because if you're stressed, then you are giving off um, energy, you're giving off that signal. Emotions are, emotions in, uh, emotions are energy in motion, aren't they? So if you are stressed, then often what happens is that your focus tends to become on you. You know, it's all about, it becomes about you, doesn't it? It's about, you know, nobody cares about me or what is it that I need to do to survive this situation. But when you're, and so if you're in that position, it's all about survival. So you're not necessarily thinking about how do I respond to my team in the best way. Yeah. You don't necessarily listen. You don't necessarily feel it's a time to open up your heart and collaborate. Yeah. You know, and so when you're when you've triggered the stress response, the body has already gone into survival mode. And now it's going to do whatever it needs to do to keep you safe. So and this is obviously where, you know, the whole mind, body and brain connection comes into it. And, you know, if you're stressed, your body's basically saying, picked up the signal to say, you know, Lynn's being now chased by a lion and I need to get Lynn <laughs> safe. So your brain, that the rational part of your brain switches off because if you're being chased by a lion, then now's not the time to go, let me do a SWOT analysis. Yeah. <laughs> let me do an option appraisal here. Yeah. It's all about survival. So, you know, you need to just run or, you know, fight or, you know, whatever it is. it is. Yeah. You know, so when, as, a, as a manager managing a team, first of all, it's really important to you know, have that emotional intelligence and that self-awareness around what's triggering me. Yeah. How, when I'm triggered, how do I behave around my team? And then, you know, it's about, OK, um, let's think about the team and giving the team those tools and um, information and that knowledge as well around, you know, developing their own self-awareness around. You know, so when I get stressed, how do I think, you know, do I think I'm the victim or do, you know, do I see possibilities or do I just see the, you know, the glass is always half empty? Yeah. How do I behave? You know, am I, do I get more argumentative with my team? Do I withdraw? Do I decide, you know, this is all too much and I just want to have a duvet day? And how does that make me feel? You know, do I get angry? Do I get sad? Do I get, you know, do I experience anxiety? you know do I feel depressed what what is it so and and in that team everybody's going to have different trigger points yeah everybody's going to think differently everybody's going to behave differently and everybody's going to act feel differently so you know if you think about it you know when if the team themselves are all stressed then it's probably they're probably because they're in survival mode if they're going to be thinking more in terms of being competitive It's more around survival, so I need to keep this for myself and I can't share it you know, because I need that piece of information because that might help me at some point in the future. So you're not in collaboration, you're in competition. When you're stressed, you're not seeing the wood for the tree. So as a team, if you're all stressed, then you're not going to come up with those new ideas um, and see things differently from a different perspective. You're not going to to see those possibilities. And you're definitely going to lack focus. So, you know, things that might have taken you, you know, I don't know, 30 minutes to do might even take you half a day to do. And then often when you're stressed, you don't make good decisions. You know, you often say things you regret. Um, making simple decisions feels so difficult. Like, you know, what do I want for lunch? You know, that's, you know I don't know. Do I want this, Do I want that? You know, simple decisions can feel so challenging, you know. So in the same way that an individual reacts um, and, and, you know, deals with stress, you'll see that within a team, but just in a bigger, on a bigger scale.
0: Yeah. And I think what's really interesting and in what you're saying there is that as a manager, actually, you need to deal with yourself first. So it goes back to the kind of the oxygen mask analogy. Yeah, in that absolutely. Deal with yourself first, give yourself the oxygen so you can then recognize what's going on around you. But also what came up for me, and it'd be interesting to see your thoughts on this, is that you need to have psychological safety within the environment so that people feel open and able to talk about it. Because you say everybody reacts differently. So starting to understand how your team is reacting to stress, but actually, you because they all react totally differently from, say, how you are, But actually being able to encourage them to talk about it and help that to increase their awareness is going to be important. But they have to feel safe because if they don't feel safe, they won't share.
1: And that's so true. So psychological safety is really important. And this is probably, you know, when, when I talk about well-being in the workplace, this is one of the things that I talk about around managers, creating those trusting relationships. And if you don't have trust, then your staff are not going to open up to you. Yeah. You know. Um, and, and this is part of, you know, sometimes not all managers feel confident or comfortable or even competent to just have what I've called that well being conversation. Um, just being able to sit down with somebody and say, you know, I've really noticed that, you know, you're off, you know, you're you're not as bubbly as you used to be you know, what's going on, you know, what, what what's going on with you, you know, just being able to sit down and empathise, Yeah. really listen to somebody and knowing that, you know, that person feeling, making that person feel like you really do care about them, you know. But if you are stressed yourself, it's so difficult to be able to have those conversations from a place of um, true
0: empathy, from a place of mm. trust, you know, because your heart's not open. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's going back to deal with yourself first. But it's kind of the what you're saying is, when you're having the conversations, it's actually how you come across to your team is going to be really important, because they're not going to open up if they think that, um, that you're actually not listening to them, if they think that, so the question is just a, a cursory kind of I'm just checking in rather than being a genuine I'm concerned yeah. about you mm-hmm. and there's a big difference yeah and you will feel it yeah that's the difference
1: you we all know it you know when we all know when somebody's genuinely concerned about
0: us and we, we feel it yes you that's know, true. you feel the difference so yeah. you will know yeah And I think, you know, having just talked about psychological safety kind of um, leads me on to the last question here, because for me, people, you know, money is something that people really do not like talking about and need to feel safe and secure to be able to open up to it. So I'm curious, particularly as you started off the conversation as well about talking about your experiences growing up. Mm Um. So what experiences have you had or stories that you perhaps learned as a child influenced how you look at money?
1: So this is a really good question because my parents came from India. Right. They came to the UK in the 60s and, you know, um, they didn't have a lot of money. Mm. And um, when my parents first came to England, they actually lived with another family in, in, a, in a room in a, in a terrace house. Wow. Um, and it was only much later on after my dad started working that um, he eventually bought um, the, the first family home. And because my parents had both come from uh, India, they both had um, families and extended families still living in India. And at that time, the mentality was you go, to, you go to England, you get a good job, and then you look after not only your own family, but your extended family who live back in India. You know, so my parents used to not only keep the household running in the UK, but they always used to then put away money so that they could then support their families back in India. And so we didn't have a lot of money. You know, my, my dad was a manual worker. My mom used to work as well. And um, I remember, you know, I always tell this story that, you know, you, I don't back then a Mars bar was a huge piece of bar you know yeah. how the- <laughs> like so reducing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but back then you know we were you know my mum would allow us to have like she'd, she'd treat us and she'd say right here's one Mars bar and she would cut it into four pieces because four <laughs> and then we used to fight for the end bit because that had the most chocolate on it yeah right <laughs> so we didn't have the luxury we didn't have the money to be able to have one Mars bar each you know and that's and so growing up some of the money messages that I grew up with was you know that you worked hard for your money yeah um you didn't just use your money to support yourself but you also shared it with other people um and that um sometimes you know if you you know some of that was about making sacrifices so you know you went without so that somebody else could have yeah you know and but also because we didn't have a lot of money my mum was incredibly resourceful incredibly resourceful so um she used to sew so so she used to make all my own clothes and so I learned how to sew I can sew you know um Then my and so you know even like if you had like um something like a plastic tub that you know you got your flora margarine out of that plastic tub was then reused for lots of different things (laughs)
0: yeah yeah Um, (laughs)
1: because you just didn't throw anything away absolutely yeah (laughs) throw anything away so I guess you know some of those money messages really were that you know. It wasn't I never got those messages like money's the root of all evil or money doesn't grow on trees, but I got those messages in a, in a different way, yeah and um, and that was really around that if you wanted money, you worked hard um and that you didn't just um spend it, you saved it, you know, so that whole um growing up, you know it was all about making sure you had money for a rainy day
0: because you right. never
1: when you needed it, yeah, so saving was a big part of it um and and also it's all relative isn't it really so you know when i think back now of, of the wealth in in quotation marks that that i have just in yeah. the material things in terms of the money that i earn um and then you compare it to sort of what you had back then i feel incredibly rich
0: <laughs> I love, and it's interesting when you're talking about these um kind of the resourcefulness of your your mom and kind of that um you always take care of others and having to work hard do you feel that you still see those playing out in how you live your life today I do it's really funny um I moved into my house
1: probably 20 years ago right um and I remember when I um I had a, I had some margarine, I had a, a Vitalite tub and I ended up, the margarine was finished. And then I remember putting this tub on the windowsill and then putting my fairy liquid in there and my scour in there. <laughs> yeah. And that's what my mum did. And I was like, oh my gosh, That's what the hell are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you can afford to go and buy yourself a proper container. <laughs> you don't have to use your margarine tub and it was shocking you know because sometimes you don't realize that these things are playing out yeah
0: totally um
1: you know these these things that become so ingrained in us in our childhood influence everything we do in our adult life and you know that's where the emotional intelligence comes back it's about having that self-awareness about how these things play out even in the really subtle ways yeah you know yeah. um so in terms of like money I know that I I do work hard. I won't say necessarily work smart. But I know I work hard. <laughs> you know, and I do work hard and I still have a savings account. Um I I still give to charity. Um you know, so yeah, you know, those things definitely still influence me in in varying degrees. Um sometimes you know, when I look back and, and I think, gosh it's amazing how um the childhood memories and how things were done really still influenced me
0: even now yeah um and uh, I find that really fascinating because you've as you brought it back quite rightly to emotional intelligence because it is it's not just about money it is about everything and I think the more as you say, we can understand ourselves, whether it be about money or whether it be about something else and just kind of catch our reactions yeah. to things and our behaviors and think, actually, where did that come from? And as you say, you suddenly think, oh no, I'm in my mother. <laughs> and it's <laughs> like, how did that happen? Um, but yeah, it's um, it's just having that link of seeing how it, it, you know, I am looking at money intentionally here but actually, it's whatever we're looking at in our lives, we have to be aware of what's been going on. So I love how you linked that back. Thank yeah. you.
1: It's, it's interesting, just as you were talking, there was something else that came up and like, you know, my, my parents never threw anything away because it was like, you never know when that's going to come in. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know. I still have that mentality, you know. Sometimes I really struggle to throw something away because I keep thinking, "Oh, you never know that when that's gonna come. And I'm like, "No, that's just that's just childhood yeah. stuff coming out," you know. Yeah. um Luckily now, uh, I tend to give a lot into charity, so that makes me feel a lot better. So yeah, so you're not
0: wasting it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Wow, <laughs> yeah. oh, I like that. Well, thank you very much for coming on, and you've shared such a lot today. So, thank you. It's been, um, it's given me a lot to think about personally because I think sometimes we don't necessarily make all these connections through. Mm-hmm. And I've liked how you've kind of linked it very practically. So, thank you. Um, I appreciate you being here and having the well, conversation.
1: Well, thank you, Lynn, for inviting me. Our deepest gratitude to you, and um, I've really enjoyed chatting to you.
0: Oh, I've enjoyed it as well. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Every Business Counts. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to our Facebook group, Every Business Counts, and share what you've enjoyed and your highlights. I look forward to sharing more with you next week. Bye for now.